Luke chapter 6, verse 17. If you have your phones or your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, open them up and go ahead and turn to them there. While you're turning, um, I don't know if you've ever been out to the farm, but we've got the camp out coming up August 17th. We'd love for you all to be out there and, uh, and join us. That's a Friday night, and then a Saturday we'll be up there all day Saturday too. Um, but if you, if you haven't, you may not know this. You may have heard me talk about it before, but we have a spring. That's how our, our water is fed to our house. That's our water supply is a spring, not a well. And uh, my grandpa actually built this spring back in the 70s. And uh, he, he, he had a, a bulldozer, an old international, uh, uh, we called it a cat, but it was an international. And, and he went up and, and there was a spot where, where there was a spring that was flowing year-round. And so he took, his, he took his bulldozer up there and he scraped all the dirt away and got all the way down to the rock and then brought in loads and loads and loads of rock, gravel, and filled it in. And then he covered that back over with dirt. And then you have to let it sit for a while so all the dirt can kind of settle down and settle out and you'll get, eventually you'll get clean water. And so they had done that and then they let it sit for a while and then it started raining. We got into a really heavy rainy season and so they decided to go up and check the spring, see how the spring was doing after having uh, done all of that work to it uh, about six or eight months prior to that and went up there and the ground was literally bubbling with water. There was so much water under the ground that it was bubbling up through the surface. And so the, my uncle tells the story that it looked like the ground was just bubbling, like it was boiling. And so later they had to go back and they had to go in and bring in and more dirt and kind of settle it out. But to this day, um, for, the ground will still get really soggy there when, it's, when we have a wet season. But the cistern that's in the middle of that, during the rainy season, the, the water that, that's collected in that, even though you know, the ground height is here and the cistern sits up you know, a foot above that, there is enough water and enough water pressure down in the spring that they, where they made this, the underground coffers, the underground collection unit for it, that, that when we have enough water, it, grow, it grows up and bubbles out over, over the top of the spring. And so a lot of times in the winter, we have to keep uh, a hose or something running down at the house to try to keep the water level down on that spring because there's so much water in it that it actually overflows. And it seems to be a continual, never-ending source of water. It's always there. It's always ongoing. For, long, for, for the first 45 years that they used the spring, it fed you know, two or three houses, and part of that was the farm. And they were using lots of water on the farm, and it just has so far never run out of water. It'll go down in the dry season, but it never runs out of water. It's a continual, ongoing source. And it's going to make sense in just a minute, and we'll dig into that. But just wanted to paint that picture for you to get you started thinking in that direction. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 26. We're taking a change in course today. We've been covering a lot, of, a lot of Jesus' stories and the miracles, and we're going to continue to see more stories and miracles throughout the ministry of Jesus. But last week, we, we talked about Jesus calling the 12 disciples. And so he called the 12, and he, he called the 12 out of his disciples, his followers, which were hundreds, if not thousands of people that were following Jesus because of how great his, the popularity of his ministry had become. But out of that big group of disciples, he chose 12. He called out 12 to be the apostles. But you can imagine the scene. So, you know, so he's, he's called them all out. And now as, as he's, as he's uh, sharing with them what their ministry is going to be like and, and what, what he's preparing them for, he's, he shares this message. This is called the Sermon on the Plain. Um, 
There, there is a little bit of debate, and I'll let, uh, I'll let Rob and Jim answer the debate questions for you about whether this is the same as the Sermon on the Mount or if this is a different instance. I, through my study, think this is a, dis- a different sermon. Uh, this is a Sermon on the Plain. The other one was called the Sermon on the Mount. That should be an indicator, in my opinion. But then, uh, second to that, it's not the exact same content, but there is similar content. And you can imagine an, an itinerant preacher, if you've ever heard an itinerant preacher that came through your church, you know, you probably heard a really great message, but they were probably sharing that same message with every congregation they went to. When you hear a guest speaker come to church, they'll often have a refined message that they share when they come to your church, and I would imagine that would be the same for Jesus. These are some of the core principles that he wanted to teach his followers, and so as he went from place to place, he would probably have to preach the same message over and over again so that his followers, the new followers who would come in, would get a picture of what it meant to be one of his disciples. And so I think this is a separate instance. To me, it seems like there's a time difference as well. There's, there seems to be some time between when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of his ministry before he had called his disciples, and then now that he's called his disciples, he's reiterating some of those important facts. Verse 17 says, he went down with them and stood on a level place, he being Jesus. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, which means there were lots of people from all over the area and and even farther outside the, the direct vicinity. And they'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who will laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And the Sermon on the Mount, we only get the Beatitudes. Here in this teaching, we get the the Beatitudes and their accompanying woes. So we're going to dig through these and kind of gain a little bit of understanding for what Jesus is communicating here because he's, he's setting the course for his ministry and he's setting the course, he's basically casting the vision for, for what it means to be one of his disciples, one of his followers. This is what it looks like to follow me. And I think we can break it down into these four categories. If you have your bulletins on the back of it, you have a spot to write these four notes. I'm actually going to preach four points this morning. It's kind of atypical for me, but I thought it would be fun. So um, they all come under this heading, Jesus wants to be. Jesus wants to be. What does Jesus want to be? What does Jesus desire to be for us? First, I think this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to be what you value. 
Jesus wants to be what you value. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And the accompanying woe, verse 24 says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Jesus wants to be what you value. Well, what does the world value? The world would value what is rich, and I think that is, that is what Jesus is getting to in essence here, that, that the world values riches and collections, right? I, I'm going to be uh, collecting all these and, and bringing them together here in just a minute, but this I asked uh, Becky if she could bring in one of, the, uh, one of Harry's matchbox cars and just happened to bring in the armored transport, which is kind of perfect because it's a vehicle and it holds money inside. So this is basically the perfect picture of what the world values, right? Stuff and money. Stuff and money is what the world values. But Jesus wants to be what you value. So the world would say, uh, I want this stuff. I need the stuff. I, I, need, I, need the, I need the rewards here on earth. I need to get money. I need to be rich. I need to be wealthy. I need the cars. I need, as the old hymns say, the houses and land. That is what we're pursuing, right, is all of the things that make us happy in the here and now. That's what the world values, but Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. What does he mean by that? Well, by, by, by seeking riches, we have already received the reward for what we sought. We got it right here. We've already received our comfort. There is nothing awaiting us. But he contrasts that with blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But blessed are you who are poor. I think Jesus is making the point that, that if what you value is what's on earth and not your relationship with God, then you will find yourself in poverty of the worst kind. Jesus wants to be what you value. Number two, Jesus wants to be what you crave. Jesus wants to be what you crave. Verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Verse 25, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Jesus wants to be what you crave. This is a really, uh, a really important one for us in this day and age. Woe to you who are hungry now, for you will be, you will be satisfied. When was the last time you were really hungry? I mean, like, really hungry. I'm not just talking like, like most of us. Like, most of us start to feel faint if the hostess at the restaurant tells us we have to wait longer than 15 minutes, right? To us, that, that is a dire, a dire state of hunger. But when was the last time you were, you were really hungry? And this, we talked about this with fasting, right? A lot of times we've, we've overfed ourselves so much, myself included, you can tell by my physique, that, that I, have, uh, I have not gone, gone hungry many days in my life. But when was the last time you were hungry? Like stomach burning and growling hungry. For a lot of us, it's probably been a while, I would guess. I'm not going to speak for you, but I can speak for myself. It's been, it's been a while since I was really, really hungry. Yeah. So I, th I think a lot of us are kind of mindlessly satisfying our cravings 
and we're doing it in a way that we don't ever stop to think about what we're consuming. And I don't think Jesus is just talking about physical hunger. I think there's a bigger picture here that's going on. I think that he's talking more about how we hunger for the wrong things. You know, our physical hunger can overtake us many times, right? And we get hangry, and hopefully that won't happen now that we've had some snacks. We can maybe sit through and, and absorb a little bit more of what we're learning this morning. But, but we get hangry, and when you get hangry, then everything becomes about, I got to get food, and I got to get it now. And you stop thinking about maybe some of the more important things in life. But that's just physical hunger. What about the void in our spirits that we're trying to fill with the things of this life? See, there's something more valuable than just physical food. The only thing that really promises to leave us satisfied is Jesus, and he's the only one that has the authority to make that statement. You might be hungry now, right? You might, you might have a desire for things that, that, that uh, aren't being fulfilled, but but in the end, it's just empty, right? If you, if you look at the balloon and you kind of look at its circumference and its size, it looks like it actually takes up a decent amount of space. But we all know because you just saw what happened. It's empty. It looks like you're filling yourself up. It looks like the world, when you're filling yourself up on the things of this world, it looks like... It's going to satisfy you, right? Problem is, it can't satisfy. It's just empty. There's nothing to it. I'm going to pop it, just so you know, so you can prepare yourselves. Because the world can't satisfy, the world cannot possibly contain what God created in us, and so eventually it cannot any longer hold. I'm a little bit nervous. Don't want to do it. I don't like things popping. I was pumping up one of my tires as a kid at the gas station and I popped it. it scarred me for life. Oh, come on. Yeah, this balloon's not supposed to be this big. Finally. <laughs> the world cannot contain what only God can contain, and what God designed your soul to be filled with was God. And so when you're trying to fill it up with the world, we're just filling it up with emptiness. We're filling it up with something that has no ability to fill it. So Jesus wants to be what you value. He wants to be what you crave. He also wants to be what brings you joy. I want to dig into this one a little bit deeper here for a minute or two. Jesus wants to be what brings you joy. He says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And he says, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. 
I had to do a little bit of digging on this one because there's nothing wrong with laughter, and the, and the Bible speaks of laughter being a good thing. So why would Jesus be pointing out laughter as a bad thing in this moment? Well, I think it has to do with, with weeping and laughter. I think that is a part of it. But as we study the idea of weeping throughout Scripture, we get a bigger picture of what weeping means. It has to do more with your perspective, how you see the world. And joy, I think, has to do with your perspective and how you see the world. Let's look at some, an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. We, start to, we can see this as a theme in the Old Testament. Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. So God tells the prophet to go and mark the people who are grieving over the sin that they see around them. So we see a, a pattern throughout Scripture, and we see it in the New Testament here in just a minute, that, that, that God wants us to weep over the unrighteousness in the world around us. God wants us to mourn for those who are under the control of the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, which is a big part of what Jesus is addressing here. And Jesus promises that those who share God's broken heart for this world will in the future laugh and rejoice at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 9, verse 6 through 9, which we actually just sang about. Weep. What are we weeping for now? What, is, what are we joyful for now? Our world is taking great delight in things that have nothing to do with God. Does that bring us joy or does that bring us sorrow? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 and verse 17. I want to read these for you. Uh, Peter is giving a warning about some of the false teachers and some of the false things that are going to happen um, in, the, in the church after, after Jesus. And as the church spreads out, he was giving a warning. And, and this is part of that warning. Verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. And in verse 17, it says, These people who are pursuing these things are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. 
we had some thunderstorms brewing, you know, throughout the course of this last week, and there were some on, you know, Father's Day, and we had one kind of grow over our house that was pretty cool. And then on Wednesday, there was a, another storm, and, and it, and it kind of went up along the, the mountains and the Cascades, and so it was off to the east about 10 or 15 miles. We could hear, hear the faint rumble of thunder, but we weren't, you know, real close to it. But I noticed that when I was outside, as when the thunder was the loudest, I could smell the rain. You know that smell that when the rain comes? It wasn't raining, but I could smell the rain. There was no moisture in the air that I could feel, but I could smell the rain. These people are like springs without water and mist driven by a storm. They're out there, but they're empty. There's no substance to them. What brings you joy? What makes you weep? How do you see the world? Jesus wants to be your perspective. He wants to be the glasses that you wear to see the world, and he wants to bring you joy, that that the things that you see are the things that bring him joy, that the things, the way that you see the world are the things that, that are in line with what he wants us to believe and understand, his truth, his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding so that what brings us joy is what brings God joy, not what brings the world joy. Jesus wants to be what brings you joy. He wants to be what you crave. He wants to be what you value. And he wants to be, number four, what people remember about you. Jesus wants to be your reputation. He wants to be what people remember when they think of you. Verse 22 says, blessed are people when they hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And he says, this is one that gets an extra explanation. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Rejoice when people hate you. You see, when we have the right perspective, things start to make sense. Our joy comes from the Lord, not from our circumstances. And so when people reject us, when people hate us, when people exclude us, when when people insult us because of our affiliation with Jesus Christ, that is a cause for us to rejoice. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors, the ones who are making fun of you, their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But he says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Woe to you when your reputation is you, all of the good things that you have done, right? You know, we, we, we want to do good things in this life. We want to make a difference, but do you have to get the credit? Do you seek to get the credit for those good things? Is it your reputation? Is it your name that you are building up? Are you trying to build up your name so that when people think of you, they think of your name? Or do they think of Jesus? Do they think about Jesus. So, your name tag. Whose name is on your name tag? Whose name are people going to remember when they encounter you? Are you living for your name or for his name? So, Jesus wants to be what people remember about you. Jesus wants to be what brings you joy. Jesus wants to be what you crave. 
Jesus wants to be what you value. You might be able to boil it down to this. Jesus wants to be your source. Jesus wants to be your source. I need a volunteer. I'm going to set you up for failure, so somebody needs to be willing to fail. Tim, I, was, I pictured you in my mind when I came up with this, Tim. So, Tim, come on up. I'm going to stand up here, so I'm just a little bit taller than you. I, so, this in our house is a cup, by the way. This is what we drink out of. We can in them as well, but these are our, these are our drinking devices. So, we're going to use this as a cup, and you can see through it. That helps my illustration. So, Tim, take it. Now, I need you to fill up that cup with that cup. Fill up the cup with the cup. Makes sense. Everyone knows what I'm asking, right? This is the cup. Fill up this cup with this cup. Got an idea how to do it, but it's not a good one. Okay, what's your idea? <laughs> Glass cutter. Okay, well, you cut the glass, but then where's the bottom and the top well, of the no, 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 you cut the top off and then cut it down the seam and then you put the top part and the bottom part. But technically, then it's not the cup anymore. Right. The so, cup. essentially, it's impossible, right? Yeah. There's no way to fill this cup with this cup. All right, you can sit down. That was really overly dramatic, but I thought it would be fun to make fun of someone like Tim. You cannot fill this cup with this cup, right? That is, that is a physical impossibility. I think we know that. I think we understand that. But so much of the time, we actually spend our lives trying to do that, don't we? We try to fill our own cup with our own life. And we think maybe, you know, the only thing I could think of is, you know, you throw it up in the air and maybe you can catch some of it. But in the end, you're going to end up with a big mess. I'm not going to do that because if you don't know our history, we have a history with water in the sanctuary. But, so here are the four things that represent the four things that Jesus wants to be. Jesus wants to be what we value, right? Jesus wants to be your perspective, your joy. Jesus wants to be your reputation, your name. And this one, Jesus wants to be what you crave. Let's see if this works. So, um, so we got it all in there, right? We got all these things that, that represent our values, that, that the things that we value. Now, um, we, we pursue this Monday through Saturday, essentially, a lot of us in our lives. We, we, we go through life where this is kind of the main thing that we're seeking day in and day out. And then Sunday rolls around and we want to get a little bit of Jesus. So this is going to represent Jesus. Imagine, see, I was going to bring in a hose and have a hose running the whole time, but, you know, we have good carpet now, so I don't really want to ruin it. But um, I'm still going to make a little bit of a mess, I'm sure. But uh, let's get that out of there. So 
This represents God's unending abundance, never-ending abundance of love, of who he is, of his character, his attributes, of the life that he wants to give us. This represents God and how he wants to fill us. So, so it's, for our intents and purposes, it is never-ending. It will always go on. There's only five gallons in here for us today, but just imagine with me that it never ends. So, so there is, try not to make too much mess, God's love and grace and truth and all the stuff he wants to pour out on us. Now, the cup represents us, you, me. Oh. Well, I got a little bit in there. Let's try again. Ooh, there's a little bit more, you see? See that? I told you I was going to make a mess. I'll clean it up, don't worry. You see the problem, right? It's obvious, I hope. I hope this is a really obvious illustration. That's what I was hoping. You can't get the water in there because we've filled it up with a lot of other things, right? We, we've filled our hearts and our spirits and our lives with a lot of things in this life, and, and then we get disappointed that we don't get more out of church or we don't get more out of our Bible reading, we don't get more out of this or that aspect of our relationship with God because we've filled up our lives with things that aren't of God. They're things of this world, and the problem isn't really that God doesn't want to fill us. It's that we are full of all the wrong things, Right? I mean, we're full of the desires of our eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of this life. I mean, those are the things that, that kind of consume us day in and day out. And, and Jesus is saying, no, I want to be that for you. I want to be what you value. I want to be what you crave. I want to be what brings you joy. I want to be what people remember about you. I want to be your source. We cannot be our own source. We cannot fill it up. And just like we see here, when we try to fill our cup with the things of this world, it's never full, right? The world can never satisfy. As much as we try to fill it up, the world can never fill our cup. John chapter 4, verse 11, we're going to start bringing this in for a landing here. This is one of the great stories, one of the great illustrations uh, of Jesus' ministry and his approach to people. This is where Jesus has his interaction with the woman at the well who becomes the first great evangelist bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to be our source, but to be our source, he has to deal with the things that we're trying to fill our hearts with. John chapter 4, verse 11, the woman is speaking, Sir, they're at the well, right? Jesus wants a drink. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus has just offered this woman living water, and she's confused. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it to himself, as did his sons and his livestock? In other words, this well has been around, giving people water for a very, very long time. Are you greater than Jacob, who gave us this well? Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks this water, this physical water, the, the, this water that, 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 cons- that we're consumed with, right, that, that we're trying to fill our needs or desires of our flesh with this physical water, we will be thirsty again because it cannot sustain us the same way the water Jesus wants to give us can sustain us. But if we, if we receive the water that he gives us, this water will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like that spring I was talking about, Grandpa's spring, it just kind of wells up and overflows from beneath the surface. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's a question we probably, Jesus, give us this water. We want this water. And if it worked how the world thought it would work, it would just be, okay, receive it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Why would Jesus offer living water and then ask this woman about her life of sin? Why would he offer this this source that's supposed to well up to a source of eternal life springing up from within and overflowing in abundance in our lives and then go to the worst thing in her life, go to the place where she was the most embarrassed, where she was so embarrassed about the life she had led and the five husbands she'd have and the fact that she's with a man that is not her husband, that she would come out in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, to get water when you would do it normally in the evening time when it was cooler, Why would Jesus go to that one spot? Why would, you went there, Jesus went there. Why would he do that? What's that spot in our lives? What's that, where's that, where's the there that you don't want Jesus to go to right now? You can, have, you can have this and you can have that, Jesus, but, but this is, I mean, don't go there, Jesus. Don't, don't go there. Don't you dare go there. That's off limits. Jesus has to go there. He has to go there. He has to deal with the stuff that's in the way. And he, ha- he has to... Do a little surgery sometimes. Some of them are a little harder to get out. Jesus has to go there so that we don't have these things in our lives keeping us from being an overflowing spring. Because even though there's a lot of room in there now, there's still something in there taking up space. See, it's not that these things are bad. In fact, I, wouldn't, I would not argue that in the Scripture Jesus is condemning being rich. But I would argue that when those things have our heart and God does not have our heart, they're a big problem. 
when, when God is not what fills our heart, but our heart is filled up with all of these other things, then, then we have a problem. See, we're, we're not just supposed to even be about filling up our own cup, right? See, now the cup is empty, so now, so now I can actually receive what God has for me, and I think this is still, I didn't clean this cup, but oh well. This is still our approach to God. So, so we get the things out of our heart, and, and then we go and approach our relationship with God like this. Okay, God, fill me up. And we, and we let God fill us up, and then, and then we do this. I'm trying to be messy on purpose without being too dis- It's good stuff. Not as good as our water at home, but it's good. Mm. Oh, that's good stuff. out. Is there water on my face? See, we, we, we get our heart right, but then, but then we still only go to God to get filled for our own benefit. Our, our, whole, our whole pursuit of going to God is so that we can get filled. And we get filled so that we can kind of feed ourselves for a little while. We don't have to walk as closely with God as we, as we probably should. And so, so we can get enough to kind of last us for a few days or for maybe a few weeks or a few months. But then eventually we run out because we're doing it wrong. God alone can satisfy, right? Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies, God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Isaiah 58 11, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. A spring of water whose waters do not fail. You don't run out of water when the Lord is your source. Jeremiah 31, 25 says, I will satisfy the weary soul. Blessed are you when you are weary. I will satisfy the weary soul and every laughing soul I will replenish, or languishing soul I will replenish. Psalm 91, verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Isaiah 55, two, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The rich food is not the stuff we can buy with our dollars and our cents. The, the stuff we ought to be seeking and spending our lives trying to gain is God, more of God. Psalm 135, or 132, verse 15 says, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Jesus is the never-ending, abundant source of living water for, through which everything in our life is supposed to flow and, 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 and everything makes sense. 
When you look at those four things that Jesus wants to be, if you change the perspective instead of I'm trying to acquire these for my life, instead I want to see them as God sees them, then he can use these for his glory. If, if what we value is Jesus, then, then we start to see the world for what God values, like Shad was talking about earlier. We see how God sees instead of how we see. We, we see from the right perspective. We see for the right reasons. But we can still do all of that and come up short if we don't do this one last thing. And this is where Jesus is about to go in the coming weeks and the, the story that we're going to share is that Jesus is our source, not just so he can fill us, but so that it can flow through us onto the world around us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul is praying for the church at Thessalonica, and he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. I need a few more volunteers. If you'll come up here, just three or four or five people. Come on up, Tim. You can. This is going to take a little while, so be patient with me. Here's, here's your cup. Here's your cup. Anybody else want to participate? You can. We've got plenty of cups. All right. Here's how it's supposed to work, right? All right, somebody, get up here. The cup of overflowing. Give me some water. Give me some water. Tim's hogging it all. I know, Tim. It's okay. His cup's going to start overflowing here in a second. Keep taking it, Tim. Yeah, and then I'll get it from your cup. Oh! Yeah. You circumvented me. Oh, keep it there. Keep it there. You've got to overflow, too. It's not just on me to overflow. There we go. He's getting a little different than that. I have a hole in my cup. All right. Got it? Everybody's cups overflowing. Tim needs more. All right. Does everyone get the picture? All right. Now I'll drink it all at once. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And there's this amazing thing that was just happening. Not just. And I'd love for you to all come up here after the service and see. Not just with our cups overflowing and filling one another's cups, but it just kind of, you know, just sprayed all over everything. I mean, the stage is wet. I mean, my shoes are wet. Anybody's, anybody else wet? You wet? I mean, it just, it just kind of goes everywhere, right? I mean, you're, you're getting filled, and you're getting filled to overflowing, and you're flowing over, over into other people's lives, and you're filling up other people's lives with the goodness of God, and then, and then it just, you know, just kind of spreads. It just, you can't really contain it. You can't really keep it under control. It's just going to go 
where God wants it to go. And if we're living our lives this way, where Jesus is the source, where he is the spring of life that is welling up in us, an eternal spring of water that is flowing forever, then this is the picture that the world will see. And this is our desire for our church here at 6-8, is that it's not that, that we'll just kind of help you through religious activities, get everything in the right order so that you're pursuing things and, and so sort of try to increase church attendance and, and that kind of stuff. But no, it's that, it's that we actually get plugged into the source and that we're receiving from the source the spring of life and that the spring of life is actually something that we're not just trying to fill up for our own selves so we can take, but that it's welling up within us, and as it wells up within us, it overflows out onto all the lives that we touch and all the lives that are around us. And the amazing thing that will happen is not only are we filled, but everyone is filled, and now we are satisfied with the love of God instead of trying to find and seek satisfaction and the pleasures that this world has to offer, but will always leave us empty. Who is your source? Who is your source? I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning. This is what we're about as a church. This is who we want to be. I know we're in the summer months and, and there's a lot of things pulling us, but can we, can we approach this season and every season with the right perspective? I mean, can we, can we get God's way of seeing this, this time that we're headed into and God's way of seeing the seasons that will come, that, that we'll see what he wants us to see for what's ahead, that, that he'll see the events and the activities and all the things that we have going on, not, just, not for just how they can make us feel and what we can receive out of them in the moment. There's nothing wrong with them, but, but can we see them for something more, that, that God actually wants to use our lives to pour his love out? Can, it, can, we let, can we let God's love affect us as a community, that, that we don't approach this, this time that we have gathered here on Sunday mornings with, with the consumeristic mindset that I need to come and I'm, I'm expecting to get something out of church, and, and if I don't get out of church what I'm expecting to get out of church, then I'm going to go somewhere else to find it. Can, can we just be done with that way of thinking, and, and can, we, can we say, you know what, I am here because God is my source, Jesus is my source, and his love is flowing. This is why we're making fellowship an integral part of our worship service. It's not, it's not something that we're doing uh, extracurricular, it is actually a part of our worship services because we want to see God flow out of all of the lives of the people at 6-8 Church into and on all of the lives of everyone else at 6-8 Church. Can we see it in this perspective? Can we start to get God's way of looking at things so that we understand His love is not merely just to fill us up, but His love is for us to flow out and to pour out in abundance? That would be a fun word study I don't have time to work it in this morning, but it's all over the New Testament. Look for that word filled abundance in the New Testament, and you'll see this idea as a major part of the New Testament church. The overflow. Remember that series we did a long time ago? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart? 
what is in our heart this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that amidst all the imperfections of how I don't live my life religiously perfectly, that you cover me in grace. But I also thank you that you love me and you love us enough to share with us the truth. That you won't just sugarcoat it and hope that we get, get a, enough of the idea, but that you'll give us the picture that you actually want us to see. You'll tell us what we need so that we can receive from you what you have for us. I thank you for that. I thank you for this body of love. I thank you for this brother and brotherhood and sisterhood of agape love, of unconditional love that you have assembled here at 6-8 Church. I thank you for the way they pour out into my life, and I thank you for the way they pour out into the lives of one another here at this church. Father, I pray if there are any of us who, who have maybe grown weary and gotten tired and we've, we've been doing some of these things that we've been doing around here for the wrong reasons, maybe out of obligation or duty, instead of doing it out of the overflow of our hearts, I pray, Father, that, that you would just help us to get a fresh perspective on that, that we'd start to see it from your eyes. We'd start to see the why behind all of these things that we do, that it's not the activity, that it's not what we're accomplishing, that it's not the to-do list or the tasks that we're trying to achieve, but that it's so that we can, in all of these different areas and everything that we do as a collective body at 6-8 Church, that the love of Christ might flow out of our lives and overflow onto the lives and the world around us, that they might see the love that we have for one another and they might be affected by being sprinkled with the love of Christ as it overflows as we pour out on one another here. I pray, Father, that you would do this for your glory, for your name's sake, not for our name, not for the name of this church, not for my name, not for the name of anyone involved here, but that we might, at the end of the day, be seeking to make much of Jesus and be about his reputation. And I pray, I pray from the deepest part of my heart, from the deepest part of my soul, that, Father, when people think about 6-8 church, that the word that comes to mind is Jesus. That when they hear that name, 6-8, that they, they think, man, those people are just all about Jesus. There is just so much Jesus coming out of those people. It's just, it's just Jesus loves me, and I feel Jesus' love because of those people at 6-8. May we be all about making much of the great name of Jesus, not our own name, and be seeking what you want us to seek. We would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and know without a shadow of a doubt that you've got all the rest taken care of. In Jesus' name.